You are the master of your reality. This is even more true in relation to the government. Democracy doesn't just happen. It takes participation. Governments need participation and feedback from their citizens. Join Rob Hutchinson for Dear Parliament, where you get to understand the issues and engage directly with government. Dear Parliament is every Wednesday at midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to yet another edition of Dear Parliament. Today we will continue a few chats that we started in in the last in the last episode and chat more about uh, the NHI and some other issues that are that are going on in South Africa and a whole lot of uh, maybe unknown topics as as well. But you know, before I get into that, I'd, I'd just like to recap on on what's been going on throughout the week and uh, t- kind of take a look at a different look at news and events and try and piece things together, which isn't always easy, as as I'm sure we all we all know. Um, if you have a look at, I'm sure you heard in the news. If you're listening to the news, there's a financial crisis going on all around the world. And you know, a lot of people are looking to alternative forms of income, um, whether it's supplementing with with uh, temporary jobs or or even trading crypto or or anything else, anything else to make a bit of extra money to to put food on the table and and pay the bills that need to be paid. And I must say, there's I've been also investigating other other alternatives and came across quite a few. Uh, strange crypto scams. And um, I said most of them do seem to be scams. Get, earn massive amounts of money in 12 days and earn double your money in, in 30 days, you know. And I think the lesson there that we need to learn is that if something looks too good to be true, then it probably is, isn't, isn't true in the first place. So just be careful. Be careful. I know it's desperate times and people will, uh, fall for a lot. I, I've fallen for a lot, and I'm sure uh, a lot of you have been in, enticed into into some of these uh, scams. But just be careful. We never know what's going to happen there. And rest on the, rest on the knowledge that things will get better. It just takes time. It takes time, and it takes a bit of effort from from all of us to play our part in that. And we can deal with. Uh, food, rising food costs and everything else because it will all settle down. Eventually things will get better. As, as someone once said, when you hit rock bottom, the only way to go is up. So let's, let's look at, let's look up and <laughs> get, get excited and look at the positive side of, of things. It's always a good way to go. A lot of this, uh, tension and anxiety and stress and worry does does bring in uh, health issues, especially on on um, uh, mental health and and so on. Stress is stress is not a good thing to deal with. It does take its toll on on your health, uh, both uh, physically and and mentally. And just just look after yourself. That's my advice for for the day to everyone. And you know that brings us into a topic of national health insurance. Does, does, is it going to help? Uh, does, does it, will, will it help us? Does it appeal to everyone? And will it, will it be for everyone? You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. And welcome back to 
Dear Parliament, and democracy doesn't just happen. As I said before, it takes a hell of a lot of hard work. And well, it doesn't take too much hard work. You just need to get involved and have your say. Get involved, show show that you care, and do it for yourself and, and your neighbours. And uh, joining joining me today, yeah, live on air, uh, is Kieran Ryan. Um, he's no stranger to the show. Kieran, how are you doing? Doing great, Rob. Good to talk to you again. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, rather chilly Joburg here. Uh, I see you're all wrapped up there as well as yeah. I am. It's freezing over here. <laughs> but what can we do about it? If I if I turn on the heat, I'm going to pay pay more electricity. So got to have a compromise somewhere. And if I if I don't turn the heater well, then perhaps my my health is going to suffer. And uh, will will the upcoming NHI take care of me? Who knows? Who knows? Nobody really knows yet, yet what's going on. There's so many different views going on, uh, in, in the public space. Uh, governments praising it. Some entities are praising it. Some bodies are praising it. But there's a lot of negative, uh, issues and, and opinion out there, uh, on, on the NHI. How will it be implemented? How long will it take? What will it cover? What's the future of medical aids and, um, uh, medical aid service providers? And so on. Will they survive? Will they form into something else? Too many questions out there, and we won't know until the regulations are are published. Now, as as we know, regulations determine how how a, a law or an act is is handled and is brought out, and the, it's the ins and outs, the workings of of that, the it's the engineering or mechanics, as as some people would would say, but. Uh, the, the bill itself, the NHI bill, does seem to be rather scarce or sparse on, on information on how things will work, which is creating a lot of confusion, confusion here. What do you, what do you think is really going on here? Is it a political move or are they really serious about bringing in something that South Africa cannot afford? It, it is, look, it, it's complex. Um, it's very easy to, Attack the government on the basis that, you know, here, here's another boondoggle that they're looking to increase taxes. I, I mean, the, this is the core of the problem in South Africa is that you have a very small, one of the most, the, the, the smallest per GDP taxpayer bases in the world. And, and this has been shown in multiple studies. So to start thinking about loading more taxes on an already stretched three million South Africans pay taxes for a country of 60 million. Uh, so that's 5% of the population are paying taxes. So this idea that uh, it is an unequal society, um, but you cannot continue to load more and more taxes w- without something breaking. And already there are signs that something is breaking. People are leaving. There's a lot of discussion about this NHI bill, the National Health Insurance Bill. Because what is it trying to achieve? Well, it's uh, at the moment you've got eight out of ten patients in South Africa who go to public clinics and hospitals, um, whereas most of the country's doctors and dentists and specialists are are serving a relatively small pool of South Africans, those who can afford it. So eight out of ten South African patients going to public hospitals, whereas most of the doctors um, – in the private sector are servicing about 16%, 16% of the population that can afford medical aid. So there, there is something unequal about all of this. I, you know, I can see the uh, what the, the government is trying to do. Uh, I do believe that it's probably 
not going to turn out the way that people think because, first of all, what we know is that this will take 10 or 15 years before it's fully implemented. And the, the criticisms against this NHI bill are very valid because there, there seems to be no feasibility study and no look at how this could be done uh, and what impact this is going to have on the broader economy and the broader population and particularly the taxpayer base. So uh, I can see what they're trying to do, uh, and that is to have better quality access for everybody to the healthcare sector. However, no matter where you look in the world, I mean, they clearly modeled this on something like the UK or Sweden or Denmark, which which is nice, but it's inappropriate for South Africa because we just don't have the resources they have. And there's huge criticisms about the NHS, the National Health Service in the UK as well. Mm. Uh, And in Canada, um, I think the last time I was on, I, I mentioned a story about a lady, a South African lady living in Vancouver who was uh, needed a very special procedure. She was on a nine-month waiting list, and she came to South Africa to a private hospital very affordably uh, in, because of the RAND exchange rate, which, you know, is, is part of the issue here. Um, she got attended to within two weeks and is now happily recuperating from the procedure that she had to have rather than waiting nine months. So this idea that, you know, everything overseas is the model that we should follow is probably not uh, – applicable in all situations. So Mm -hmm. what are they really trying to do here is um, get better access for the population to to healthcare, but look at the consequences of this. And this has already been said by the South African Medical Association, the Hospital Association, the opposition parties. It's going to drive out the, uh, the medical expertise that we have in this country. So essentially what you're going to have is a, a government-funded health insurance for all South Africans with funds paid into what they call an NHI fund, and that's going to be paid from taxes and employee contributions for the most part. Um, those currently paying into medical aid schemes it will be free to continue doing that, but they won't be able to opt out of making contributions to the NHI fund. So you're going to be paying two taxes for your medical uh, schemes, one to the NHI and one to your private medical aid. And, you know, this is, I don't think this has been thought through. And the, the, probably the most concerning part is it all depends on regulations, which are yet to be published. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The regulations do play a major part in, in this. And the scary thing about, about regulations is they, they completely up to the minister to determine. They don't, they don't require any public participation or any input from from private bodies it can all just be uh, completely up to the minister and you don't you don't have your say which is which is a dangerous thing to uh, to actually bring about then you know it's going to cost this country as you say an absolute fortune and the tax taxpayer will be will be paying for it but wouldn't it be better and maybe we'll address this after a quick break here wouldn't it be better for the government to focus on fixing the existing healthcare system, ramping up hospitals. Uh, we know all, all state-owned hospitals are in absolute uh, tatters. Why not focus on uh, improving the services there, uh, upskilling them, uh, fixing equipment, making them more efficient and productive, and then you know, use use that. What what is why would this rush be? towards implementing 
a state-owned medical aid scheme which focuses on the private sector when we have great facilities already there. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. And that was a healthy ad break. And on the subject of of health, uh, Kieran, we, I, I mentioned there that why not fix state-owned hospitals and, and ramp them up? Um, this, this NHI is going to cost the country 500 billion rand. Um, or up to five, some estimates are up to 500 billion rand annually. That's a lot of money that we could actually spend on, on existing systems. Why do you think government is reluctant to, to go down that route? It, it is a question that it's, it, it's a good question to, to ask. Um, because I, I, I recall, you know, when, when my kids were born, they were all born in the, um, you know, the public hospitals. I don't know about your kids. Were they born in the, Private or, you know, or the no, uh, private, private. <laughs> privileged as a privileged person. <laughs> okay. So if you go back, um, you know, I'm talking 20 years, uh, or, or mm. more in some cases with my kids, they, they were all born in, you know, the, the Edenville hospital or the Joburg gen, and they were very, very good at that time. Mm. And you just wonder whether the drafters of this law actually spend any time in these hospitals because they, they are pretty outrageous. The, the degradation of the services in the hospitals is very visible to anybody who's paying attention over the years. One of the things that I suppose is fairly alarming is that hospitals already are underfunded. And never mind with this, uh, this, this NHI bill and what it proposes to do, which, which is about a 500 billion budget that's going to be needed over what period of time? We're not quite sure. But you can just imagine what would happen. Just look at what's happened with ESCOM, where Andre de Reiter reckons there's about a billion being stolen from ESCOM every month. And even as we talk, and it doesn't matter how many times this is publicized and how many times ministers get up and say this is unacceptable and we're looking into it, can you imagine a 500 billion rand budget and the mafia that will be all over that money? That that pot of money has has got eyes on it already. So uh, and we 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 discussed the last time this whole thing about regulatory capture, mm-hmm. and I think what we're seeing here is is something like that. You know, you you think this is uh you know a fairly innocuous, um, well-meaning uh piece of legislation, all well-meaning pieces of legislation, you know, can end up very quickly in a kind of tyranny. And I think this is a case where this could happen. The money involved is just so large that it's going to get captured. Yeah. And um, oh, just just for our listeners, perhaps we should describe what what regulatory capture actually means. Yes. Okay. Do Do you want to describe it, or shall I? Yeah. No, you can go. Go ahead. I'll interject as as we go. Regulatory capture is where you know who's the question we asked the last time we spoke. Who's writing these laws? You know, there are some insane laws that are being passed. And uh, it's a question I started to ask a little while ago. And you find out that there are there are NGOs and there are people who insinuate themselves into positions of authority in and around these various departments. So you're presented with a draft bill. And, Rob, you know this through Dear South Africa. You're presented with a draft bill uh, that is – Unacceptable and to, to many people unacceptable. I mean, if you read the comments on Dear South Africa around most of these, 
People are against regulation. It seems to be not regulation, sorry, against these laws that are being passed on principle because the purpose of a government should be to have a very light regulatory touch, do as little as possible and allow people to get on with their lives. But here we are being boxed in with all kinds of laws. I mean, I'll give you an example of one that's really uh, come to my attention. and I didn't pay much attention to it until a few weeks ago, the Tobacco Products and Electronic Delivery Systems Control Bill. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that that name in itself is a turnoff. You're going to go to sleep on that. It, mm-hmm. But if you're a smoker and you're a vapor, um, this is an important bill to pay attention to because what it's going to do is it's going to ban vapes. Well, sorry, not ban. It will prohibit mm-hmm. vapes. And these pouches, these nicotine pouches that people use as less risky alternatives to cigarettes, you cannot display them. Uh, and there's a whole range of new offenses, which includes you cannot vape, vape in your own flat if a neighbor objects, or you cannot vape in a car where there's a non-smoker, and there'll be punishments of up to five years in jail for doing this. This despite there being quite a lot of research, scientifically validated peer-review research showing that these vaping products are actually far less harmful. And... Um, Countries like Sweden, which have achieved, they're, they're almost smoke-free. They're down to about 5% of people, of adults right. smoking, whereas South Africa is going in the opposite direction. They're going in the opposite direction in South Africa for an entirely different reason, and that was because of these these lockdowns that happened in 2020 and the flood of um, illegal cigarettes. When I mean illegal, these are cigarettes that are not paying the required excise duty. Yeah. That came into the country. And that's the handiwork of, uh, of course, Zanad Lamini Zuma, who is the Minister of Cooperative Governance uh, and Development, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, and Traditional Affairs, sorry. Uh, Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. Yeah. That's her handiwork. That, that's what she did. So our smoke, the, the rate of smokers in South Africa has actually gone up about one in uh, four adults in South Africa smokes, and it used to only be 16% a decade yes. ago. But it does so, seem to be more in, around vapes rather than than actual or vapes and e-cigarettes rather than uh, actual tobacco products, especially now amongst the youth. Uh, I think I mentioned last time as well that you can walk down the road and see kids in school uniform uh, smoke or vaping on, on right. a street corner, which you wouldn't see previously. Yeah, you'd see, yeah. you'd know they smoke, but you never saw it in public. But now yeah. it's open and encouraged by the peers, and some parents even allow it. You know, it's 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 yeah. it's become a trendy thing rather than rather than any anything else, which which I think might be contribute towards the the increase in 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 smokers as such. Are uh, vape and sm- uh, traditional tobacco products um, the users of, of those all counted as smokers? I think there are, so it would be uh, an increase there. So, yeah, we've got to look at it, uh, look at it both ways. Uh, yeah, the, the, the vapors make up about 3% of the, uh, the mm. smoker population. So it's quite small and you're right. It is uh, a lot of the youth. I think they like this huge cloud of smoke that they can, <laughs> uh, they can get out of their mouths. It's far more impressive than, than an, you know, an ordinary cigarette. You know, cigarettes are, so passe, so yesterday, you know. Yes. Yeah. So, but I think the, the important <laughs> thing to look at here is what has happened in the area of health. And this, this is a, something that should concern us all. I, I remember reading a book, the, the Myth of Mental Illness, which came out in 1950 and it was written by Dr. Thomas Zaz, who's passed away some time ago, 
where he was essentially arguing that, about mental health and um that it, it is being misdiagnosed and misused. So what you're doing is you, you're getting unsocial or not even unsocial behaviors, odd behaviors being medicalized and characterized as a mental illness. And the way he came to this conclusion, he himself is Hungarian, was Hungarian, and um, ended up as a professor in the United States. He was called to a hospital where a guy was, you know, apparently speaking in tongues and, and just making incoherent and making no sense at all. And it turns out the guy was Hungarian because Thomas Zaz could understand the language he was speaking. But he, they were about to electric shock him because they couldn't understand his language. And so he started to investigate this and he, he developed this term called the therapeutic state where the state is basically, uh, moving every aspect of behavior and every health issue, uh, under its control. So you don't have dominion over your body anymore. Now, Robert Kennedy Jr., in his book, uh, The Real uh, Anthony Fauci, he went into this in a lot of detail, and that kind of blew my mind. I had no idea the extent of interference that there is in in the medical field with the World Health Organization and so on. And I know that this is such a politicized issue, and and people, um, you know, will will say, well, you're a – you're, you're a right-wing conspiracy nut and all this kind of thing. Ignore that because th- this is evidence. This is evidence-based. Um, and, and Robert Kennedy Jr. is a trial lawyer. So this is how he would present a case in court. And it hasn't been rebutted in, in any meaningful way. But the, the, the World Health Organization and the interference that's been run by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, and people like that, is is quite astonishing. So the, the whole move towards vaccines, that, maybe it had a good effect. I think there's there's a lot of research coming out now that people got a got a shock and they started to look into an area that nobody was paying much attention to. But this this issue of regulatory capture and health is one of the primary areas because that is where you can take away dominion of uh, you know your 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 body, which is the one thing that you should be able to control with a fair degree of certainty. Exactly. And that, that, that there is an effort to remove that. Yeah, and I think the the regulatory capture there—it's it's actually a great example of that—is um, the regulations that came around all all COVID all the COVID lockdowns and the whole uh, COVID experience. It was the regulations were were ridiculous, and they did seem to um, benefit a a handful of well connected people. That that is reg- regulatory capture, where regulations are are drafted by uh, a private sector, uh, whether it's a corporate or whether it's an individual, to benefit themselves, to benefit themselves. So, in it was the supply of uh, PPE or the supply of of vaccines, and even uh, even the al- alternative measures. You know, you've got to look at the the alternative medicines that that were offered there. Why were only a few uh, recommended. Uh, why were they recommended at all? It was it was all down to to regulations, and I suppose regu- regulatory capture is a form of of lobbying. Uh, in in the states, you have uh, lobbyists that lobby uh, the, the government officials to draft legislation that's in in the favour of 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 companies and and so on. Very rarely do they. Um, lobby to have anything in favor of, of the public good. 
it's always for financial interests. So, in yeah, my where's, mind, where's the lobbying for for traditional medicine, for no, exactly. alternative medicine, exactly. for, for non-invasive procedures? Mm. Exactly. That, that 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 is absent because there is no there's no money. This is um. This is one of the things, and this is why I applaud what you do, because the, the way you make any headway is you have to get organized and you have to, uh, you have to get together with like-minded people and advance a particular issue within the bounds of the law, of course, but you, you're being outgunned in every respect when it comes to health oh. because the pharmaceutical industry Robert Kennedy Jr., but he, he's, he's quite amazing what he's bringing up. You know, he's talking about CNN and, and who's that anchor? Oh, um, Anderson Cooper. Mm. Um, he, he apparently is paid $12 million a year. Robert Kennedy Jr. revealed that of which 10 million is coming from Pfizer, the wow. pharmaceutical company. And how does he know this? Well, because Pfizer is the, is the main advertiser during that particular slot on CNN. Um, I think when you start to look at, I don't know if you've paid any attention to this, uh, th- this Twitter war that's been going on quite recently with a guy by the name of Dr. Peter Hotez. Mm, it's H-O-T-E-Z. Um, he went on the Joe Rogan podcast. Now Joe Rogan gets, you know, I think over a hundred million, uh, downloads every mm. week on his, uh, on his podcast. But he brought this guy on and he's sort of a pro-vax guy and, um, and he was contradicting Robert Kennedy Jr. on a lot of the evidence that he, that Robert Kennedy Jr. presented. So Joe Rogan was saying, well, let's have a debate. And, uh, a lot of people was telling Hotez, you know, don't, don't, don't debate him because Robert Kennedy Jr. is a, is a formidable guy when it comes to the subject. Um, and Joe Rogan brought up on the, the podcast with Dr. Hotez, but you know, you, uh, what do you eat? This is why I eat junk food. Um, he says, you know, you, you look a little bit overweight. Um, and you know, so he doesn't do any exercise. He, he doesn't eat well. He doesn't take vitamins, but you've got to take the vaccines, you know? So there's something weird going on there. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. And we're back. <laughs> and yeah, democracy doesn't just happen. And sometimes internet connections aren't reliable either. So we've got to deal with that as it, as it comes in. But dealt with, Kieran, we, we were chatting about, um, quite some quite serious issues. And I saw we got, um, uh, a few messages in from, from, from some listeners there. Um, uh, which actually complimenting us there for, for speaking out. And believe me, there's a lot of support there from, from, uh, from the community. And a lot of people, as you say, are now questioning everything, uh, questioning vaccines, questioning, uh, everything around the medical industry. So it's, it's good to see it is a, it is a growing community. You know, that they talk about the great reset. To me, it's been the great awakening. Everybody's yeah. becoming more of a critical thinker now, which, which is good. But what, what a lot of people don't realize is, uh, as you keep mentioning, the, the regulations that, that go around these things and the, the capture that's done so subtly that, that you really don't know what, what is, what is going on or if it's, if it's real or, or not. Um, 
What what are the examples of regulatory capture? I know the pharmaceutical industry is is quite obviously the most the uh, the most obvious one. Um, but what else could there be? What else What else do you believe there there is? I'm going to leave you with that question because we're going to have to take a quick quick break here. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson, because democracy doesn't just happen. And Kieran, what were we chatting about? I have to refresh my. It's been so it, much. Going we're talking on about uh, other examples <laughs> of regulatory yes. capture. I, I mean, Absolutely. I think that there are many that uh, we, we could focus on. I, I, I think the, the 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 bottom line is whenever you see a new draft bill or an amendment to a piece of legislation, it's the first question that that you need to ask is uh, qui bono, who benefits from this? And that will lead you to a better understanding of why this is all of a sudden. I I mean, just look at the Dear South Africa platform, food labeling and advertising. Um, So this is a regulations related to the labeling and advertising of foodstuffs. And you asked for comments on this. Uh, so the draft includes changes to design regulations, man- mandatory inclusion, sizes, acceptable images. Well, you see, food labeling in itself is part of the health industry, yeah. right? Because there are certain uh, disclosures that you have to make. Um, but there has been a steady attempt over the years to try and rope in food supplements into uh, medical legislation. So, you know, this is, oh, this has mm-hmm. got, uh, you know, certain supplements, for example, which are foods, but, uh, like vitamin D3, you know, why would you have to go and get a prescription for a vitamin D3, you know, a strong dose? Because I, I take vitamin D3. Unlike Dr. Peter Hotez, you know, who eats his hamburgers, doesn't exercise, but wants you to get vaccinated. I, <laughs> I eat vitamin D3. And I like a fairly, you know, large dose because I read up on it. Now, the interesting thing about just take D3. Uh, the the Irish government, uh, whatever the Department of Health in in, in Ireland, did a re- research during COVID on vitamin D three, and it and it found that there was a causal link between uh, a certain dosage of vitamin D three, and I can't remember what the dosage was, um, and reduced infectivity. Um, but when it came to actually enforcing that, they didn't. So this was just a recommendation thrown out there, but they were quite happy to enforce the vaccine but not at the same time recommend that people live a healthier life and take vitamin supplements that might improve their chances of not getting infected with COVID and and various other illnesses. And And so you're seeing this encroachment into the food area as well. And this is something quite recent. Uh, You've you've got until the 20th of July, I believe, to to do this. And I I would be concerned about this and I would get people to, I would urge people to go over to Dear South Africa and comment on this. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There are some interesting clauses in that bill. One one of the ones that caught my eye was that uh, you've got to get rid of all or governments proposing that you can no longer use the terms like superfood and um, other other homeopathic uh, terminology. It's it's got to state what it is, and also you can't have uh, doctors or medical professions or celebrities endorsing uh, food in advertising anymore. Um, no matter what it is, endorsing the health benefits and so on, which which I find quite quite ridiculous. I mean, surely if it's if it's really good and it's and it's recommended by you know, doctors, then then surely you should be able to promote that because it's the truth. 
I suppose they're trying to get rid of fake fake endorsements and and so on. But these endorsements uh, should be verifiable and and so on. Yeah. And uh, you know there, there are better ways to to deal with that rather than destroying marketing. Also, they want to stabilize um, or, or or standardize all all advertising and um, all labeling on all food products. So it's going to be pretty difficult to distinguish between um, different types of, of foods. Um, well, a lot of different types of foods, but foods from same, uh, from different manufacturers or uh, different brands, brands of food. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's presented as with, with good intentions to reveal the ingredients of, of what's in there and the health benefits or lack of health benefits that, that it, that it might have. But it is, it is manipulating the way we perceive food or what, what is, what is considered as food. And it blurs the line between uh, supplements and, and uh, real food. So yeah, I think it is, it is a good one that, that I, I do um, think that we need the... to see more attention on. Yeah, I think the food supplement industry also has a case to answer because they have been irresponsible and reckless in many cases, mm. making very extravagant claims about the benefits of certain types of foods, which are, are, are not based, I mean, not, sorry, not based on uh, science that I can see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm often, because I use natural healers quite a lot, uh, mm. not only, mm. but um, I, I do believe in a healthy lifestyle. And I do like to know that I'm, I'm getting a proper balanced diet, but oftentimes you will see, you, you know, I, I remember coming back from a doctor once with, you know, 20 different bottles of supplements and I said, you know, what, what is this? And, and, and I do a little bit of Google searching to, to find out what's actually in these things and what benefit they're supposed to have to me. And, you know, I find it very background, uh, you know, it works in the background. It's not like, oh, I take this one pill and, and all of a sudden I, you know, I feel great and, uh, you know, my vision improves. No, it, it doesn't do that. And, you know, and like with a lot of these things, healthy living is a very gradient thing. So you see, uh, Nassim Taleb, you know, who wrote, uh, Black Swan, he says all healing is a subtractive process. And he's not just talking about healing. So if, if you, if you get ill, what you do first before you add anything to the body is you stop doing certain things. You stop alcohol, yeah. you stop cigarettes or that's and, so and that, that does make sense. And it's the same when you go into an organization that's not functioning well, you, you would, the first step is to look at what, what was introduced that probably should be stopped, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of like that as a, as a philosophy. You know, if you're starting to correct a situation, look, look at subtracting things that are unnecessary and don't, don't add to the, the general improvement of your health or whatever it is you're trying to fix. Mm. But getting back to, <clears throat> sorry, getting back to the food issue. Yeah. I think the, 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 the supplements industry does have a case to answer and they do have to be a bit more responsible. And I can understand why, um, you know, a government might want to pay attention to it, but I can see in the background, that there is a, there is a move to rope this in under um under pharmaceuticals and they are not pharmaceuticals they are a food yeah exactly and again there we'd have to see who's benefiting from this why this sudden move to to standardize everything and completely change the regulations because this is a set of regulations that that is out uh, around food labeling i can just imagine design agencies and and packaging designers pulling their hair out 
trying to cram all these new new and mandatory symbols and and uh, everything else on, onto a tiny little label it must be uh, it must be must be chaos in there they're even determining um what size the fonts must be and what colors it must be so they really want to standardize standardize everything and yeah i think it's going to absolutely cause cause chaos but well, I, we'll I have think to dig deeper into it it's it's getting even nuttier than that because uh this this war on farmers in europe you know in in holland they they want mm. to get rid of cows in ireland as well they 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 want them to slaughter 200,000 cows well why um why do that what what is this? is climate change really going to be affected by 200,000 cows no. it, it, anyway no. I, that, it's an attack on probably, the food supply mm. yeah yeah without a doubt attack on the food supply but yeah that being said uh, there's a lot to chat about that as well and we shall do so right after the break you are listening to dear parliament with rob hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. Yeah, and it definitely doesn't. So, Kieran, um, we've chatted about quite a few, I'd say, controversial topics here. And, well, maybe they're not so controversial anymore, but they definitely were and only, only just a few few months ago. But it's great to see the interaction from from listeners Um Bringing, bringing this into the open. Everybody is concerned about, about all these health issues, uh, the new regulations that are being brought in. Uh, and it's, it's not just South Africa. It's, it's global. Uh, do you have any, any articles that, that you've written or will you be uh, writing any articles of, of interest here? And, you know, can, can we view them, please? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have written, uh, on the national health insurance bill. I have my personal website, which is called writersroom.coza. Um, most of my articles are published on moneyweb.coza. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've written about the, the National Health Insurance Act. I've written about vaping as well. And uh, this week I'm going to be writing about this uh, tobacco products and electronic delivery systems control bill. Um, it's a terrible name for a bill. It's, it's, it's why people don't pay attention to it. You just read that and you, you turn the page. Um, and that's why they get through. So it, people like you and I, we've got to be alert for this kind of thing. You know, just the, the framing, the, the, the head of the, the name of the bill, you've got to pay attention to that kind of thing. The, the I, I real to issue re, that to rewrite them and reposition them as to what they really are. There, there's right. a couple that say the protection of constitutional democracy against terrorism and and other act, which is completely not what it actually was. It was yeah. Well, there, there's, there's an example. That's an interesting one because uh, it, you know buried away in that uh, lovely sounding bill was mm. a clause that would you know anybody who criticizes government you know could be arrested and locked up. <laughs> exactly. You know th- this yeah. is what you're seeing. You know what, what's happened with Julian Assange in in the UK. Um, this kind of outrageous move towards censorship and, and control of, uh, because the internet has been a liberating thing. Let's be honest. Of course, it's got a lot of nonsense on it. But if you want to research a subject, um, and I, I don't say uh, Google has become less and less trustworthy. I think there was a time when its algorithm was, yeah. was fairly even handed, but now you have to go to 
you know, I use uh, the, the Brave browser, for example. They have their own search engine. You've got DuckDuckGo, and 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 uh, there's another one called PreSearch, which is based on the blockchain, where there's there's no filtering. It's impossible to filter. This is just hardwired into the thing. And I think you know, ChatGPT and artificial intelligence. Although there's already a lot of discussion around how they are, you know, mm. altering results from that, uh, you know, politically skewed results and so on. <laughs> I, I think the the most funny example there was. Um, Somebody asked to write a, um, you know, a poem in praise of Donald Trump. Oh, so we don't do chat GPT comes back and says we don't do, um, <laughs> political things. Can you write a poem in praise of Joe Biden? Because <laughs> it's a beautiful poem. So yes. you, you have to be very careful about, you know, these are gatekeepers, AI and, 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 and Google search engine and all of this kind of thing. So. There, there is a battle going on here between, you know, those who want to maintain the freedom, which was the spirit in which the internet was born, and those who would, you know, like to uh, throttle it. And I, I'm not saying that this, this is. I, I think this battle will go on for a long, long time. I have no idea who's going to win. By the way, Bitcoin, because you mentioned Bitcoin at the beginning, is an example of that quest for for freedom, because that is the spirit in which Bitcoin was born. It was born in, in nine, uh, 2007, actually, the, the white paper was written. Um, and it, it was written because um, the, the financial crisis at the time, people were losing their houses and their assets. And here is something that is decentralized. In other words, it, it exists on a network of computers or nodes, as they call them. And mm. Every attempt to squash this thing has been a failure. I'm just looking at the the Bitcoin price today. It's up at 544,000 rand. Um, it's doing remarkable. It's people who the early adopters were those who are looking for freedom. And I think this is the, the, the great battle ahead of us. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And uh, listeners, if you, if you want to find out more about this, please feel free to, to uh, visit Kieran at um, – what was it, Kieran? Writers? Writersroom.coza. Writers come on, come on over and visit my website. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Spend some time there, browse through, through what Kieran has to say. It's fantastic stuff. Well researched and well, well presented. Kieran, it's been absolutely wonderful to, to chat to you as it always is. Um, let's, let's make this a regular thing. Let's, let's get, get our listeners in, involved, get involved more. Let's make it more interactive. It would be lovely to hear. Uh, more questions coming from you. And unfortunately, that brings us to the end of Dear Parliament for today. And if you missed the show, feel free to catch up with the podcasts that are available on our website at www.chifm.com. And remember to stay democratic, engaged, active, and responsible. Ciao for now.